Good evening. Uh, we're going to be in Romans, Romans chapter 4. Go ahead and grab the Bible in front of you, Romans chapter 4. Um, I'm going to, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try and explain, actually we're going to be at, our, our passage tonight is, is the entire chapter of uh, Romans 4, um, but I'm actually going to spend a lot of time in the first uh, few verses before this chapter. All these chapters are linked, they just don't stand alone, um, so we have to look at these last few verses of chapter 3 to actually even understand what chapter 4 means. In fact, I'm going to try and just basically preach from these last few verses and explain them, and then when we read chapter 4, hopefully it'll just be like, oh, okay, and it'll be easier to read. Um, so, so actually, verse um, uh, chapter 3, verse 27, I'm going to read these last few verses of this chapter. Um, by the way, Paul has just told these people that they're saved by faith not works. He told them they're saved by faith. And this is, this is what follows that. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Um, so, uh, I, the first time I ever read you know, this section where Paul just talks about the law and this goes back and forth about law and circumcision, it just didn't really, it was weird. Um, I was like, what are you trying to say to me right now? Just, just say it, because um, he, gets, he gets real wordy. Um, it gets difficult. So um, let, me, let, me, let me say something. This is still on the same track of the issues between um, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. If y'all were here a few weeks ago, last time I, I got the, to preach, I talked about how one of the main reasons this book, this letter was written, is because there is tension, conflict between, between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and he's still talking about it right here. Um, when he says we're saved by faith, not by works, or he says the law of works, he's not talking about works the way you and I think of it, um, of, you know, uh, trying to be good, you know, trying not to drink, uh, trying not to sleep around, things like that. Um, Paul's not trying to convince anybody of that because nobody thinks they're saved by that uh, at this time. Uh, people here, I mean, our, our people group does. We think being on our best behaviors is fine, but nobody at this time believes that. When he says the law of works, he's talking about the Torah um, that Moses wrote, those laws, the Old Testament laws. And so there is a tension because Jews believe that they are basically on a higher playing field, if I could say the higher tier than uh, Gentile Christians because promises have been given to them originally and that uh, Gentiles can just be a part of it. Uh, and Paul is pushing very hard against this. Uh, this is not simply, uh, you're not saved by doing works. It is him trying to, to melt this tension. Um, if you look at, uh, 
verse 29, is God, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, also Gentiles. That verse is pointing to what I'm trying to say. He's pointing directly, this verse. He's saying, hey, no, he's their God too, not just yours. Um, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. Um, he's trying to, to show that uh, God is creating one covenant family that he's calling to himself uh, through faith in Christ. Uh, one covenant family, not, not this two-tier system that people think uh, at this time exists. And so we've got to kind of get into that mindset um, because we're not used to it. Uh, nobody here tries to follow Torah law. Um, I'd be surprised if you did. Um, so, um, and I'm, I'm, I want to uh, actually very purposely take us to, to the Gospels in a minute to try and address or try and look where Jesus addresses Torah law um, and being saved by it. Um, so when he says Torah law, there's three main things uh, that, that, that that's pointing to. They believe they're, they're saved by, by the Torah law means circumcision is the first one. That's a fun topic. Um, the second is Sabbath, holding the Sabbath. And the third is purity laws, which uh, you may not be familiar with at all, but it has to do with uh, what the Jews uh, ate, how they prepared their food, uh, and how they washed beforehand. Um, and so that is, those, following those laws, not being on your best behavior, following those laws are what the Jews believe they are saved by. And Paul is trying to say, no, no, it's, it is faith, faith alone. Um, so I want to take you to a few different spots where Jesus directly uh, speaks to this. Uh, and I'm going to do them kind of a reverse order, reverse order. So um, turn to, to Mark, go to Mark. Go to Mark. Mark chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7, we're going to be in verse 1. In verse 1. Give me just a second. So, um, All right, so Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. We're going to jump around just a, just a little bit here. Uh, now the Pharisees gathered to him uh, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of the disciples, his disciples, ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Um, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, uh, holding to the tradition of the elders. Uh, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Uh, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups uh, and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. You read that right. They wash their couches before they eat. Um, that's, that's what, that's what, it's a tradition that they do, that they uphold. Uh, and the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do, you, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of, of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I'm going to read that last section. But their heart is far from me. God cares about your, about your heart. I'm going to keep reading. Um, verse 7. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Um, I'm going to 
jump over, jump over to verse 14 uh, as he tries to teach about this. Jump over to verse 14. Uh, he calls the people to him again and says, uh, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going uh, into, uh, excuse me, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Uh, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Uh, and he said to them, then, uh, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Uh, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensual, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So we see Paul, excuse me, Jesus address this issue of hand washing, of purity laws, and he says the real heart of the matter the real heart of the matter is your heart. It is what comes out of you, not what you do, not these things to prepare how you eat, but what is coming out of your life. And so they're focused, these folks are focused on uh, the things that basically just don't matter, uh, trying to you know, wash their couches, uh, which is a little weird to me. And it, it's got to be, it's weird to Jesus too, and it completely contradicts and he says, no, it's what comes out of a person. So that law, I just want you to see that. I want you to see that, that Jesus confronts that and in turn condemns it and shows what really matters. Um, let's talk about Sabbath, the second one. The Sabbath is the second one that they, they try to follow. Um, and Sabbath to this day is still a very, very big deal uh, for, for practicing Jews, a very big deal. Um, uh, it, more than anything, I think, I mean, we can even understand trying to uphold something. There are uh, practicing Jews uh, in, I mean, who, one of, the, one of the laws, just to get an idea of this, one of the laws is you can't rend cloth on the Sabbath. So there are Jews who try and follow that, and they debate whether or not you can tear toilet paper on the Sabbath or not. Um, yeah, whether or not you can tear toilet paper. And so there are people who say, no, you can't do that. That's rending cloth. So they tear their toilet paper the day before the Sabbath uh, for whatever they need which is funny, but it's as to the extent of how serious it is. Uh, in Jewish communities in New York, uh, there are apartments that the, 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 the elevator just opens on the Sabbath, it stops for 30 seconds, closes, goes to the next one, opens, 30 seconds, closes, to the next one, so that they can go into it and don't have to press the button. Um, and that, that's how serious uh, this is taken. It's e taken even more serious back then. It's taken even more serious back then. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to take you to it. It's, in, it's a couple chapters back in Mark. But Jesus addresses this as well. He addresses this as well. He and his disciples are walking, uh, and they pass a grain field, and they pull some heads of grain, some heads of grain. They're not working. They pull heads of grain, and Pharisees confront them and say, what you're doing is not lawful. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't pull heads of grain. They're not working. They're not you know, plowing the ground. They're not planting seed. They're just, they just pulled something to eat. And then Jesus says, uh, oh, I don't want to get this backwards. Jesus says, uh, 
the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so he addresses this, this huge law and says that it's meant uh, for us to have peace, for us to have rest, not to be some sort of rigid law that we are forced to follow. Um, and they hated him for that one. They hated him for confronting uh, their Sabbath laws. Uh, and they confronted him as well. Uh, you'll see it throughout the Gospels. Uh, many miracles, they'll confront him, uh, and it's on the Sabbath day, and he heals someone on the Sabbath, and they freak out. They freak out because it's on the wrong day of the week. He's healing people, and they're upset because it's the wrong day of the week. It's the wrong day of the week. But Jesus' stance on the Sabbath, it, it is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Not man for the Sabbath. Well, let me take you to the third spot. Um, turn to, where we talk about circumcision, uh, turn to John chapter 8. Verse 31, and this is, this is a bit difficult because Jesus addresses purity laws, Jesus addresses a number of things. He addresses Sabbath, but he doesn't directly address or ever talk about circumcision. Um, but here, he addresses the attitude towards it. The attitude towards it about circumcision is that uh, because Abraham, you know, is my, uh, you know, ancestor, I'm good. I'm saved. Uh, you know, I'm in the kingdom because I'm related to him and circumcision is that sign. So he's talking to people who think because they're circumcised, because they uh, have Abraham as a relative and ancestor, they're good to go. And that's what he's going to be addressing in these verses. Um, all right. Well, I've got to turn there. Yep. Hold on. John 8, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who, believe, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, would, that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do uh, what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning. and He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? 
If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear from them is that you are not of God. I'm going to stop there. So, these are circumcised Jewish men who are following the law. And Jesus, Jesus says, you are no son of Abraham. Otherwise, you would do what he did. You would do the works that he did. You would have the faith that he had. And he confronts them on that, and they, they can't handle it. He says, you are no son of Abraham. And then, in, in fact, he, then he turns around and says, actually, you're the spawn of Satan. That's what he tells them. You're the spawn of Satan. That's pretty tough. Uh, I imagine they were really upset. Uh, very upset to hear that. And so we have these men who are ancestors. They're related to Abraham. They're circumcised. They follow the law. They follow all those, the Torah law. And Jesus says, no. You're no son of Abraham. You're no son of Abraham. And all these things I'm, I've, I've taken to you too from, from Jesus' teaching is exactly what Paul is standing on when he says this. Uh, he's not making this up. Jesus brought this to light. Jesus did. And so Paul is saying it is faith, faith that makes the true child of Abraham not works of the law, not works of the law. And we see Jesus in the Gospels, caring greatly about the heart, about what's on the inside, what you truly believe, what you truly feel, who you truly are, and not some of these basic actions that are happening outside or what's inside. It is, and it is faith. It is faith alone. Um, so we're going to turn back to Romans, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read it. Um, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to read it probably all the way through. Um, but so you get the gist of this. The point of this is to say that Gentiles, Gentiles are, are the, the children of Abraham by faith, and it has nothing to do with works. That's what he's trying to say. All right, so Romans chapter 4. Um, he, the first verse, he even poses a question that they're thinking. You know, what, well, what about Abraham? Don't we have promises because of Abraham? So, verse, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Actually, I'm not going to read this all. I stopped. Who was here this morning at church this morning? Did you raise your hand? All right, a good number of you. And I, I was just curious because... I mean, because Terrell preached about Abraham this morning. I don't care if you go in the morning or not. I was just curious. So quite a few of you. Um, good. So we have uh, God declaring Abraham righteous because of faith before any of the works of the law. The law didn't even exist. It didn't even exist at this time. Um, verse, uh, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? 
or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He just keeps using that word again and again. There's, there's just not a synonym for it. Um, it's, it's tough for, yeah. Um, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Basically saying, basically saying that Abraham, that the covenant that was made was made before circumcision was a thing. It was, it was made based on faith, based on faith alone. And he's saying that's the same thing for you and I. That circumcision has nothing to do with the works of the Torah, have nothing to do with it. It is on faith alone. And that is how we are included in it. Uh, let's keep reading, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, it's his wife. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that it was his faith that it, excuse me, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So let me reiterate this. If I could sum up that whole chapter in a, in, a, in a sentence, it would be the true children of Abraham are marked by faith, not by circumcision. The true children of Abraham are marked by faith and not by circumcision. That is exactly what Paul is trying to say. 
that we are partakers in this covenant, regardless of our heritage. And what he says is our heritage truly is with Abraham because of faith. It's what connects us. Faith is what God is using to draw in a covenant family. It is faith. Um, And Paul, after that chapter, leaves no room for this separation between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. It is one family, one family. And God promised Abraham he'd be the father of many nations. Just in this room, there are people from all over. Your her- our heritage is from all over the world. And we believe in him. And all over the world, there are people who believe in him. And Abraham is the father, as the fulfillment of that covenant. Abraham is the father of us all by faith. He is. And so we have access to those promises, to those promises. That is what that whole chapter is about. That's what that whole push is about. Um, is that there's no room to be divided. Uh, no room to be divided at all. It's one family, one covenant, one promise found in Christ, and it's faith. The only division there is, is faith. Faith is the divider. Because there are Gentiles who don't have faith, and there are Jews who don't have faith. Faith is really the only dividing line at all. At all. Um, yeah. Um, so I want to uh, I want to shift gears um, from trying to explain uh, that chapter, those verses, and I want to talk about faith for a minute. Because I just you know, surely you just got beat over the head that you're saved by faith. Um, you are, and I want to talk about that word for a minute because uh, that word has been greatly diminished in our culture. Greatly diminished. The word faith has. Um, let me actually let me tell you a little bit about myself. I think um, many of you have heard my testimony, uh, but I guess there's, there's a lot of freshmen here who ha- who haven't. Um, but so I grew up in this town. I grew up in this city. I went to church growing up. Uh, my parents were were great folks. They're great Christians. They taught me all about Jesus. Uh, my church taught me all about Jesus, and I, I I believed it. Absolutely believed it. Who doesn't you know like Jesus? So it's hard to find someone who doesn't like Jesus. Um, and I, I, I believed. I believed. No doubt. I believed. But my life uh, reflected very differently. Very differently. As I grew up, as I kind of you know, spread my wings and, and left the influence of my parents and became who I truly was, it was someone who didn't believe in Jesus. And this is, you know, it's, it's a bit of a paradox because I, I'm serious. I mean, I believed in him but I still did whatever I wanted. And I never had a doubt that God existed, that Jesus died for my sins, that he was resurrected, but then I became whoever I wanted to be and did whatever I wanted to do. Uh, There are two things in this town, and I don't know if I've said this before, I might have. There are a lot of churches and there are a lot of drugs. Um, And I I got into drugs um, uh, quite badly. I I, I enjoyed using them, I enjoyed selling them, I enjoyed making money off of them, uh, and I got into it. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, my life got changed completely. And I cannot put these things together that I believe in Jesus and I'm a drug dealer. They don't mesh. They don't. They do not mesh. Um, and there are people who might say, oh, well, this is just like a rebellious period. And it's like, well, how long does that last? Like a bit rebel for like a decade? Like at what point am I not a Christian? 
uh, at what point are you not a Christian? At some point, this is no longer rebellion. You're just who you are. Uh, and I, I can't, not that I want to put a timeline on anything like that, but this, at some point, I'm no longer who I say I am. Um, and this is very normal. This is very normal here uh, in this town. And I'm guessing in the towns that you're from that are in Texas and in the South as well, um, where a lot of people believe in Jesus, uh, but their lives do not reflect it at all. And they say they have faith, but it, their lives do not reflect it at all. And think about what Jesus said to those Jews. Oh, Abraham's your father? No. Satan's your father. And Satan was my father. He was. I obeyed him. I did his will. That's what Jesus said. It's the same thing. But whose will do I do? Mine. What I want. Which is, that's how you worship Satan. You know, you don't worship Satan by sacrificing goats. You worship Satan by doing really whatever you want to do. Anything you want, anything your heart desires, he wants you to do it and give into it completely. That's how you worship Satan. And I, I did that. I did that. And all the while, I went to church. I did. Used and sold drugs and went to church. Went to this church. Sat in these pews right here. Right here. Didn't matter. Um, and I don't know what to tell you, um, except I just, it was, like, it just didn't matter. It just didn't matter. Um, and one of the difficult things, I think, I've, I've, I've come to find about this culture that we're in is that it's very hard to tell who is real and who is not. There was a, a friend of mine here from, um, he was from the islands, and he was a, he was a Christian, and I got to know him. He was, he was a really cool guy. He, he led worship here a few years ago, and I remember him telling me he hated it here. And I'm like, why? And he goes, because I can't tell who's a Christian and who's not. I don't know who's real. He couldn't tell um, because people just come to church and nothing really changes. And I mean, it's, it's obvious when you know you're a drug dealer or like you're, you're, you're not a Christian. Um, but there are folks who, who, whose lives revolve around themselves, yet they're socially, they're just fine. They don't, uh, you know, they don't sell drugs. They don't steal. They don't murder. They don't cheat. They're very normal people pursuing normal lives. But their life does not revolve around God and that's a huge issue for me. It's a huge conflict for me. And I have a very difficult time with it even now. Understanding who is who they say they are is very difficult for me. And I think the dividing line is still faith. It is still faith. Um, and I, I, I want to say something. Faith is always, always followed by an action. Every single time. I mean... Abraham's justified by faith, yet he makes incredible risks. He risks his life, his family's life. He risks everything he has on God, everything he has. And they're not, those don't separate. Those are like the same thing. Those are the same thing. Actually, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to read about it. Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews, uh, maybe chapter 8. No, chapter 11. Chapter 11. Let me see. Verse 8. We're going to start in verse 8. Read a few verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I'll wait just a second for you to get there. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have led, excuse me, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for, excuse me, for them a city. And so, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Verse 9, by faith, he went to live in a land of promise. So by faith, he takes this step. If you keep, keep reading these verses, uh, the author just writes one person after another, whose faith is demonstrated by an action. He doesn't say they believed and then hung out and did whatever they wanted. They took action. Imagine if uh, God made this promise to Abraham. He said, yeah, I believe that. Okay, go here. I'm going to give this land to you, to your descendants. And he said, okay. And they didn't go anywhere. And he didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. We sang that song, um, which I've never actually heard before. I liked it about this parting of the, the sea and walking through it, and of course it's a reference to, to Exodus, but imagine you're in front of this sea that parts, and then you're like, oh, that's cool, I'll sit here and not walk through it. Imagine if the Israelites hadn't passed through it. Imagine if you don't pass through it. You are called to action. Faith is always followed by action every single time. I received that. Um, James meant it when he said that faith without works is dead. It's a simple sentence, but he means it, and it is very tough. Faith without works is dead. It is dead. There's no life in that faith without that action. There's no life in it. It's not real, just like I wasn't real, just like I wasn't. And I I hate that example because it's like an extreme example versus a more normal example of someone who says they believe, who takes the the great promises of God. Yeah, I love God. I want mercy and grace. Uh, I want to be resurrected. I want to go to heaven. You take these great promises, you, you've, you've taken them, and then you, you do whatever you want with them. You go and do whatever you want with your life. Your plans haven't changed at all. And maybe you try and be on your best behavior and come to church some, but then you do exactly what you were planning, exactly what you were always planning. And then you want God to bless you and be with you. And really, you have not even asked him what he wants in the first place. He wants so much more than just for you to be on your best behavior. He has things he actually wants you to do. People he wants you to minister to. People he wants you to care for. He wants you to take leaps of faith. 
And those come in many different opportunities from the friends that you meet to the classes that you take to the job you're going to have. All kinds of different things. That mission trip to San Francisco, it's a leap of faith for some of you. Some of you saw that and you're like, no way. I can't minister to a homeless person. That's weird. And if that, if that, you know, is outside of your comfort zone, let me go ahead and tell you that you should do it. That you should take a leap of faith. You should be doing that. And so that's my question to you. What has your faith cost you? What has your faith cost you? I'm serious. Answer that question. You don't have to answer it out loud. What has that faith, has your faith cost you? Jesus said, this is intense, Jesus said, if you do not pick up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. And he meant it. He meant it. If you do not pick up your cross and follow him, you are not worthy of him. That is an intense statement, and he meant it. One of the most dangerous things our Christian culture does is we take the extreme statements uh, from Jesus and his disciples, and we go, well, I don't think he really meant it. I don't, I don't think he, he was just being like, you know, it's like a metaphor or something. No, he meant it. He meant it. And so you need to ask what that looks like in your life. And some of you have had plans your entire life that you want God to bless, uh, and he doesn't have those plans for you at all. He has something else altogether. Something else altogether. I remember, I remember uh, last year there was a girl who had a very difficult time trying to take, um, to pass her, her teaching, this teaching uh, test so she could, she, she could actually teach classes on her own. And she took it again and again and failed it multiple times. And I remember just talking with her like, you know, maybe this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. And she, her response was, well, this is what I've always wanted to do since I was, you know, a child. And I'm like, so you don't think God has something different for you? And it didn't, it didn't mesh. The idea that God would somehow want something different for her than what she's always wanted. And let me tell you, it's probably true. God probably has something very different planned for you than what you've been wanting your whole life. Um, and others, it's the exact opposite. Um, actually, it's probably most of you have no idea what you're planning on doing. You're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm taking these classes, and I don't even want to do them. And, I, and that's That's okay. But your response shouldn't be, I'm just going to keep going along and doing classes that I don't want to do and uh, you know, go, go undecided for five years or whatever you're doing. You need to pray and seek God. He has a will for you, a plan for you. It may not even involve college. I bet most of you haven't even considered that. It may not even involve that at all. Oh, your parents have been telling you the opposite your entire life. That you've been told to go to college, get a good job, so you can make decent money, maybe even great money, have a nice family, save up and retire. Um, and that's not what Abraham was called to. Uh, and you can name any, any person in the Bible. That's not what they were called to. A lot of them were called to die. I mean, Paul was beaten many times, many times nearly to death. And he eventually was killed for his faith. And it's true of many people in here. You weren't called to a life of ease. I can tell you that for sure. You were not called to a life of ease. You were not. Um, so 
let me leave you with that question again. What has your faith cost you? More than anything, I should be asking, what should you be doing? What should you be doing that stretches you, that stretches your faith? Those verses in Hebrew said that, that, that Abraham's faith grew, even. As time went on, his faith actually grew in God. And it's supposed to be the same for you. And some of you have taken little bitty steps, and others, you have somewhere else to go, somewhere, something you're supposed to be doing. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you need to pursue that. Um, and it is absolutely folly to not be asking God what he wants for you, what his plan for you is. It'd be absolutely crazy to do that. Absolutely crazy. He, that should come above everything else. We have this, is this weird pecking order we do where we have, uh, and I've seen many people do this, where it's like, okay, God's number one, uh, then family, then my friends, and then work. Or sometimes it's like God, then family. Well, then I like my work more than my friends or something like that. And so you get this pecking order when really it shouldn't be that way at all. It should be a column with God as number one and the only thing that matters and his will for you and then another column of things that aren't as important. And your family's in that. Your work is in that. Your friends are in that. So you should be asking what his will is because that involves you actually taking steps of faith. That involves you taking steps of faith. 